Welcome to The Prepared Parent, the podcast that helps you to become a better parent through science and the Montessori method. Today's topic is emotional development and emotional regulation. As someone who grew up emotionally stunted in an environment that was emotionally hostile, I just want to tell you that this is a very important subject. You don't want your child to grow up into someone who is unaware of how they are feeling, who hides their emotions deep down so that they do not have to face them. This type of behavior leads to adults who are unable to take control of their lives because they're unable to know what it is they need or want. It can lead to many problems in adulthood and poor choices when you are out of touch with your own personal feelings and your own self. So how do we develop... Excuse me, I'm a bit sick today. How do we develop emotional awareness in our children? How do we support their emotional development? First of all, we need to understand that emotional development and awareness and self-regulation, all of these things in one, uh, emotional regulation and self-regulation, we're just going to talk about emotional development today, and all of these things are encompassed under that title. But we need to understand that self-regulation and emotional development take a long time to develop. Your brain does not stop developing until close to the age of, I've seen different studies, some say 21, some say 24. But the point being, well into adulthood, your brain is still developing. And all of the processes that control your emotional development are slowed and complex to develop. They take all of that time to complete development. So when you are born, that area in your brain is, you know, low development, very low. And just as every other part of your brain when you were first born, your brain is still learning to hardwire itself. It's building, it's growing. And it continues to grow and change until that adult period. And with the emotional sector, it does take time and it is slow and it's complex. And so it's just a little by little, stage by stage. I wanted to find some of the scientific articles I had read previously that discuss emotional development, but I could not find them for some reason on the internet today. I found a lot of other ones, so I at least refreshed my memory, but none of them were specific enough for what I'd like to talk about. So I'll share with you things I have learned, and if you would like to research it on your own, I encourage that, finding scientific articles, but I could not find ones that... I felt were concise enough to share today. So I'll share with you my knowledge. So first of all, we need to understand that babies and toddlers do not have the ability to self-regulate. They look to you to know how they should feel about a situation. You, as the parent, 
are your child's emotional anchor. And you see this from a young age of babies, you know, learning how to sit if they fall over, they look to their parent. How am I supposed to respond? Do I need to be scared? Is this okay? Toddlers do it too, constantly. When children make mistakes, they immediately look at their parents, waiting to know, what response should I take? So understand that even until your children are adults, but in varying degrees, your children look to you to be that emotional anger, and how you respond to things will teach them how they should respond to things. So if a baby falls over and starts, you know, and looks to you, and you freak out, oh no, my poor baby, are you okay? They will learn that falling over is scary. Whereas a prepared parent anticipates when my child is learning to sit, they might fall over. When they fall over, I am prepared to smile at them and show them that that is part of the activity and part of learning. And there's nothing to be worried about. And when your baby sees you smile, they'll, oh, I'm safe. I don't need to worry. I can be happy. And so being that emotional anchor is incredibly important because it does build how your children will respond emotionally to all of their stimuli and in their environment for most of their life. So, yes, babies and young children do not have the ability to self-regulate. This is also why you see toddlers when they're crying and having a tantrum. If you fight them on that, they'll just cry harder because they don't know what to do. Whereas if you just hug them, say, I see that you are feeling sad, you can kind of spread your calmness to them that way. It's contagious because they, they, they feel your calmness, excuse me, and they begin to take that in. Okay. So I do get a little frustrated when I see baby training, sleep training stuff, talking about how, well, your child just needs how to learn how to self-soothe and, and self-regulate. They'll figure it out. Because that isn't how emotional development works. Emotional development works by seeing from their parents how to respond. And so when your child is crying and you don't respond, they learn, they go into fight or flight mode. It's scary. They learn that they're not going to be heard when they cry. And I understand there are some circumstances where your need for sleep is preventing you from, you know, being a good parent and there's a time and place for sleep training. But by and large, let us remember that whenever possible, we need to be that emotional anchor when your baby cries. They don't know how to self-soothe. They know that if you come and soothe them, I just calm, we are safe, it's okay. Then they learn, oh, I'm okay. And they take those emotional cues from you. So when your child is upset, it's very important to come in with a calm heart and, and give them, share that with them. So that's a short summary of how emotional regulation develops. And as you get older, your ability to understand complex emotional situations grows. Uh, preteens learn about mixed emotions. Young babies and toddlers, young children, only have the physical 
mental, neurological capacity to experience one emotion at a time. That's part of what makes them so wonderful. One minute they're devastatedly sad, and the next minute you give them something they like, and they're ecstatically happy. And each of those emotions is genuine and in full because that is, they are only capable of feeling one of those emotions at a time. It's also why sometimes they flip-flop for a minute. But as they develop their emotional uh, capabilities, their brains develop, you're able to experience those bittersweet emotions. I do recall the first time I learned the word bittersweet, because it was the first time I had experienced feeling happy and sad at the same time. It was a very confusing thing. And I really appreciate the movie Inside Out, is actually based on all of the science. So, if you don't want to read the scientific articles, go watch Inside Out by Pixar, and know that, mo like all of that movie, is based on actual uh, brain development. Um, so yes, as you grow, you learn you know, mixed emotions. As you get older and you're able to comprehend other people's points of view, and you, you know, as a teenager, you struggle between what are, what is the line between other people's feelings and my feelings, and you're learning those boundaries and social uh, cues, and and on and on. You you until you're an adult, and you've developed it. So that is how emotional regulation and emotional feelings uh, neurologically develop. Now let's talk about how you as a parent can support your child in this development so they can become emotionally aware and responsible. I believe the term is having a high emotional intelligence. So first of all, I went over how you are an emotional anchor for your child. That's step one. Step two is naming the emotion. This is a really basic step that you don't think about, but it's a critical one. To be aware of how you are f feeling, to be aware of something, it needs a name. A name will bring awareness to it. So, you might say, I see that you are feeling angry right now. Oh, you're crying today. Are you feeling sad? I know that you're hungry. And so forth. And by naming those emotions, they will be able to tell you, Oh, I feel angry. And when you know how they're feeling, you'll be able to help them deal with it a lot more. So once they have that feeling, you also need to give them an emotional safe space to feel that feeling. This is a weak point in my parenting, because I tend to copy as so many of us do, the patterns that my parents used. So when my baby starts to cry, and I can't handle anymore, it's unfortunate, but I will often say, shush, stop crying, knock it off, you're fine, get over it. And this is emotional hostility, and I have been practicing very much this week to overcome this, <laughs> so that I won't be too hypocritical as I give this lecture. Um... But it's okay, as parents, if we recognize our weak points, we can overcome them. It just is practicing. Parenting is a skill like other skills. So instead, you need, instead of emotional hostility, you need an emotional safe space. You know, I see that you are angry. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. 
and lonely and happy. As a society, we very often try to ignore the sad and angry feelings like they are negative and unacceptable. We try to pretend they don't exist. But burying those feelings does not help us overcome them. In order to fully comprehend our emotions and work through them, we must acknowledge them and let them be and explore them. And every time that we do this, we are able to process them faster. It's kind of like a skill. The more you ignore your feelings, the longer and harder it is to work through it when they finally come to the surface, because they will surface. So, if we treat our children with emotional hostility, we teach them those feelings are bad and shameful, and they're not allowed. And your children will bury those feelings. And when they do eventually come to the surface, they will be very big and difficult and hard to go through. So instead, a safe space. It's okay to feel embarrassed. And all any feeling they feel, it's okay to feel that way. It is how we, you know, be, react and response. That's the actions we take that are appropriate or inappropriate. So I see that you are angry, but it's not okay to hit our friends. Would you like to go hit a pillow instead? Is how we can teach them. So when you give them that emotional safe space and they practice going through those feelings, they practice processing it. And the more they're able to process it, the faster it will be. And the more emotionally competent they will become. So let's talk about basic emotions. There are a few different theories for emotions that name various. I'm going to go with the Inside Out version. Because I actually watched that film for the first when it came out was after I had studied a lot about developing emotions as I was overcoming my own emotional trauma. And so I remember quite clearly, as I watched that film, how it followed all of the emotional science. So you recall in that movie, there are five emotions in her brain. There is happiness, sadness, anger, fear, and disgust. I will rule off disgust. It was not on all of the list that I saw, nor do I personally find it to be an emotion so much as a reaction. But you are welcome to do your own research on that one, and maybe you will find something useful for you. Today I'm going to handle these things. When we are happy, by and large, people behave appropriately when they're happy. Occasionally, a young child might be overexcited and behave in an inappropriate way. And you say, wow, I see you are so happy. I am glad you're happy. And you can just redirect their energy. You know? You are... I know you're excited to see your friend, but you are interrupting them. Why don't you come and get your energy out through painting or whatever? Then we have sadness. With sadness, what are some appropriate ways to handle sadness? You know, I see that you are feeling sad. It's okay to feel sad. When I feel sad, I like to give a hug. Get a hug. So when we're feeling sad, we can seek for emotional support through hugs. We can seek for emotional strength 
through doing things that we enjoy. You know, I'm having a hard day. I would really just like to sit and play a video game or paint a picture. Things that we personally enjoy. With an older child, rather than redirecting them, although it doesn't hurt to give them suggestions, you might also sit them down and ahead of time and say, you know, let's come up with a list of things for you to turn to when you are feeling sad so that you can do them. And you can do this for any emotion. Let's sit down and come up with a list of things to do when you feel angry or stressed or scared. And they can do that. Right. So when we're angry, what are some coping mechanisms for anger? Coping mechanisms for anger are pausing, taking deep breaths, counting to ten, giving us time to activate our thinking minds, asking, how can I solve this? How, what do I want to happen next? Okay, helping us think about our actions before we run in with our angry eyes. <laughs> um, we can also do things that we find enjoyable to get some of our feelings out. You know, we might do something physical, like go for a run. When our bodies, when we're having emotions, our bodies react. Whether we are aware of our emotions or not, our bodies are. So when we're talking about emotions with our children, it's important and acceptable, you know, your heart is pounding, you're red in the face, you look angry, your body feels tense. You can name those physical reactions for them, and that will help them recognize their feelings. And also, it can give you some clues on how to cope with those feelings. Our bodies, our physical bodies, and our brain and mental space, they're all very closely connected. So when you're angry and you feel your heart racing, going for a run can get some of that adrenaline out of your system, and it can help you calm down. So use those physical cues as tips to know what to do next. You know, if you're, another emotion, last emotion, is fear. The fear is also what it triggers our anxiety and stress. Panic attacks, if you're breathing really heavily, you might try to control your breathing differently. My tip for panic attacks is a slow, deep breath in for four counts. One, two, three, and hold it for two and breathe out through your mouth slowly for six counts and repeat three to four times. And this shifts your breathing and triggers a more calm state. There was an actual scientific word for that, but I have forgotten it. I'm sorry, you'll have to find it on your own today. But it changes your fight or flight response to a calm response. And actually what's interesting is that Fear and excitement trigger the same physical responses. So sometimes if you are feeling like, if you're feeling excited, you might interpret that as anxious and vice versa. So sometimes expressing your anxiety or fear about something is enough to get it off your chest and you feel better. And then you're able to trigger those excitements. Or sometimes you're able to talk yourself through it. I'm a little scared that people will see something horrible, but it's also exciting that they might learn something new if you're about to give a presentation or something. 
Anyway, so for fear, some coping mechanisms are breathing deeply, um, meditating, doing things we enjoy, going for a run. Most of our coping mechanisms for negative emotions are very similar, actually. So, yes, doing things you enjoy, doing something physical, getting enough sleep. Sometimes a nap is enough to fix it. Take deep breaths, meditating, reaching for social and emotional support, a hug, someone to just listen to your feelings for a minute. Um, without offering advice or judgment, just a listening ear. Yes. So that's another way we can support our children. Yes, and when we're giving our children their emotional safe space, it's important that we we be just the listening ear at first. When someone comes to you with feelings, big feelings and problems, at first, just be the listening ear. How do you feel about that? What about this part? Just let them get it all out of their systems. And then the first thing you want to do is ask them how they want to handle it. What, do you, what are you going to do about that? What do you think would happen? You know, what would you like to try? And help them begin to think through their own problems. And after they've done that, you might say, share some personal experiences. When I felt this way, I tried this. Do you think that will help you? And always present it in a way that is clear that you aren't trying to force your ideas onto them. You are offering them one possible solution they may choose to take. Very often, if you give unsolicited advice, people feel defensive, like you're trying to force something on them, and they will not listen. So always make sure they you present it in a way they know it's their own choice. And by sharing examples with your children of times and stories that you have experienced things, they can learn from you and learn more about you. And it builds important family structure. Okay, some final notes today. Specifically, separation anxiety in young children. Again, if you are very calm about it, they'll have less problem. But it's normal for them to feel that way because the way our emotional development begins is through this bond with our parents, you know. So by always responding to your child's cries and being an emotionally responsive parent and always meeting their needs, they learn that you are a safe space. And so the separation anxiety is a natural part of development where they realize that if you're gone, you know, they're in this whole big world and is it safe? They don't know. And it's a little bit, you know, scary. So to support them with that, play peekaboo, play hide and seek, always let them know you'll be back. Always stop to say goodbye. Keep it brief and short and always keep your happy face on. And when possible, just be with your children. That is something they will grow out of. You don't need to try to like force it on them. They will get to a point where they're confident in your relationship and confident in your ability to return that they will no longer have it. They'll just grow out of it naturally as they become securely attached to you. So please don't worry about the separation anxiety. But there are some, some tips for you. Also, 
It is very helpful for our children when we use play to help them explore their emotions. So, you know, if a child hits another child, you might stop and remove them from the situation and say, hit me. This is a thing, I'll, I'll, I'll link the article, why this was an interesting article that taught me this one. Say, hit me, and the child will hit you, and you exaggeratedly cry as loud as you can, and you can show them, you know, this is how it feels, and you make a game of it. And they laugh, and it's silly, but they understand it's a game. But they also learn from it. They learn, oh, when I hit someone, they feel sad or mad or whatever, and they learn not to do it. Children are very, very sensitive creatures. They're very aware of how other people are feeling, and they want with all of their beings to bring joy to you and to other people. They want to be good. Children are inherently good. So use play to teach them. Keep things lighthearted. When things go wrong, remember it's a teaching moment. So take it with a grain of lightheartedness and teach your children. Lastly, I want to cover how important it is for you as the parent to maintain your own emotional space. Get your basic needs met. Find an emotional support group. Find a babysitter. You know, get the sleep you need. Eat your square meals. If you cannot, your children will learn by, through example first and foremost. They will watch you to learn how to react to things and how to treat themselves, and how to, to grow and handle things. So, get your own needs met. Take the time, take personal time. When you became a parent, you didn't lose your own hobbies and wants and desires. Those still exist, and it is important to take time for them, so that you have your own emotional recharge space. So, tune in to your own needs, and be aware of your own emotional needs. I need a break right now. I'm going to go into my bedroom and read a book for 20 minutes and I will be back. You know, two hours on the weekends, whatever it is, you know, maybe a babysitter. Remember to take care of your own needs and your children will learn not only how to take care for their own needs, but how to be considerate of other people's needs through your example. And it will be beautiful to watch them learn that. So, I really hope that this episode has been helpful for you. I will leave some links in the notes for the websites I could find today that I found helpful. And I encourage you, if you'd like to learn more, to go learn about... I believe, I believe, I recall that what I was searching before when I learned most of this stuff was actually how to recover from emotional trauma, dealing with repressed anger, emotional theories of development, well, no, just emotional theories. And uh, those searches might yield you some results if you would like more information. And naturally, you can always check your library for additional books. But please, if you enjoyed this topic, please go research it more. And I hope that I was able to give you some advice that you find useful today. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it and leave reviews so that others may find it. I hope you will join me again next week. Goodbye.